Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for all brands of print equipment in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A. On Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Going to do some different things over the course of the next week. Uh, we'll have WHL Commissioner Ron Robison on to uh, discuss uh, maybe some potential changes moving forward for that league. Uh, but uh, today, momentarily, we are going to hook up with Graham Brown. He's the CEO of U Sports. But not before I tell you, the guests on the show uh, receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Stakos, follow the sizzle to Alberta's own Roos Chris Stakos, 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Brendan, Maggie, and the staff at Roos Chris that Oilers now sent you. 1234 in Edmonton, and we are joined by the CEO of U Sports in Canada, Graham Brown. Graham, thanks for joining us here on Oilers Now. Uh, I wanted to uh, catch up and, and kind of do a bit of a state of the union as to where U Sports and specifically where hockey in U Sports uh, fits right now. I know you; it, it's difficult balancing as many sports as you guys have to. Um, but, you know, how much of a challenge is it because of the economics of the sport uh, you know, is there in, are you seeing interest with more teams wanting to get in and, and grow the sport? Maybe give us a bit of a perspective there. Yeah, well, first, I, I think there's a tremendous amount of potential in Canadian university men's and women's hockey, but in particular on the men's side right now, I mean, the, the CHL uh, are working more closely with us. We're, we're you know, running, um, you know, our World Junior game against the World Junior. We help uh, prepare them for the World Juniors. Uh, but also our schools, you look at, you know, 27 schools have football programs and, you know, a significant amount of money and resources are allocated to run a football program. But, uh, you're seeing more and more resources being allocated to our, our hockey programs also. Um, you know, the majority, if not all of them now, we have 35 men's hockey programs, uh, all have full-time coaches and a, and a significant number now have assistant coaches. Uh, they have the full, you know, high performance infrastructure, you know, medical, recruiting, uh, student athlete welfare. Uh, so there's, you know, I think the, the model are, are not quite a CHL level franchise, uh, but getting closer, you know, provide the equipment. You know, the big one is, is obviously how they, they travel and whatnot. And we offer athletic scholarships, which a, a lot of people still are slightly unaware of because we refer to them as you know, AFAs, which are academic financial uh, awards, uh, but but what they are is athletic scholarships. I mean, you, you don't get them unless you're playing for a for a hockey program or a football or a soccer. So when you add all of that up, and and you see that the effort being made to increase fan uh, and attendance, uh, you know, I think hockey is in a really good place at the moment. Is there a challenge with the University Cup? Um, I was on the organizing committee for two of them in the mid-2000s that Alberta won in Edmonton back-to-back. Um, and we had a guaranteed two home gates and ended up playing a couple of the games over at what was then Rexall Place. Had 11,000 fans at one of the finals. But the fact that it's single elimination knockout now and that you're only guaranteed one home date as a host institution... 
Does, given the bid uh, price that a host school has to pay for, does that make it problematic to try to turn a profit or at least break even on hosting an event like well, that? Well, of course you're going to ask that question and put me on the spot, so I'm going to give you two answers. I'm going to give you the, the uh, answer that would represent U Sports. Yep. And, you know, we have that model in place, and, and it was put in place through, a, you know, a, a reasonable if not significant level of review. Um, and that model, I believe, has been in place for a number of years. Um, my personal opinion on it is very similar to the issues you've identified, trying to get hosts to commit the significance financially and organizationally and operationally that you're trying to do for one home game. Uh, so I call it the one-and-done model has become extremely difficult. So there is a current review right now as to are there other models that are more market-driven to give hosts but also fans and, and teams who spend a considerable amount of money to attend the championships a better um, experience, student-athlete experience, but also a better tournament experience. Take the Memorial Cup, as you're aware. You know, you play everybody once. I mean, you know, you can lose your first game for any number of reasons, travel or, or preparation or whatnot, and, you know, you're not out of the tournament. So there is a look to see how we better, uh, how we might look to uh, address that in the coming years. Yeah, an illustration, Taylor Hall with Windsor, right? The, the first year they went, they, they actually lost their first two games and still ended up winning the Memorial Cup that year. Uh, Graham Brown joining us right now. He's the CEO of University Sport in Canada. Uh, I, I partially bring this up because Lethbridge hosted the championship last year, and that was a surprise to everybody. I mean, they've won one national title when Mike Babcock coached the team back in the mid-1990s. Uh, They've been challenged to be a top six team in the Canada West Conference. And it just seemed like such a, almost, uh, you know, a, a stunning move, really, given the challenges that they have to recruit, especially in a province that's got Alberta and Calgary in it. And I'm sure you guys were partially, you, you, you probably like the fact that a program like Lethbridge took a swing, like they took a chance to, uh, you know, try to make something happen. And then, of course, they ended up getting the Golden Bears in the opening draw. But just a thought on sort of a non-traditional hockey school in your league uh, stepping up there. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think, although you can say Lethbridge would be a non-traditional hockey school, I mean, the fact is they've had hockey for a long time. It, it is not a non-traditional hockey community. Right, the the Hurricanes, I think, have been doing quite well in, in attendance-wise, and you know the school is certainly uh, one of uh, schools that I would suggest are very proactive right now. Certainly on not just their athletic facilities, but you know there's lots of new things happening on the campus. Uh, the the key here is you want your national championships not to be accessible to the same programs, ones those who can afford it, or not, or necessarily the ones that are the best, like you know UNB two years ago hosted a uh, really awesome national championship. And, and and I don't know if you've ever been on their campus or to their arena, but it's, it's a very, you know, old school, unique arena, great student athlete experience, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then we've also hosted it at, at the Scotiabank place where the Memorial Cup was this past year in Halifax. And, and you know, different atmosphere, uh, but sold out. You know, we sold 42,000 tickets over the course of the weekend there. Uh, I think the key is is that it's a national championship. It shouldn't necessarily be accessible by only a small number of schools. And and going back to what I had said before, 
you know, the number of schools and the schools that are having uh, the ability to participate in it, you know, it's actually been reasonably um, diverse over the last number of years. You've, you've got your UNBs, your Albertas um, that, that have seemed to year over year, uh, you know, found their way to the national championship. But, you know, the ability for a host that's non-traditional to be able to participate and that we've had others like, you know, Guelph going this year. I don't, you know, Guelph and York and uh, Queens, uh, you know, coming out of the OUA, those are schools that, uh, you know, are not there year over year. Graham, uh, I was actually at New Brunswick back in 04. That was probably Alberta's most disappointing loss that I ever broadcast. They uh, were 39-0-2 that year and lost 6-5 in overtime. Um and I've been to Moncton, and, and the question, I mean, AUS hockey's got a bit of an advantage because in several of the other markets where there's bigger institutions, there's NHL teams or real strong major junior teams, which is not to say there's not one in Halifax, but has there ever been a thought process to doing the same thing that maybe they used to do with basketball? And I don't know if you guys are back to that with basketball right now, where you just keep it in the East Coast every year because you know you're going to get the support there? Well, that of course that's being discussed, but what's the, the challenge you have there is that what's also being discussed is the fact that basketball would like to do the same thing, and right. and it's not realistic that you could host a basketball and a hockey back to back weekends uh, in Halifax. As, as, as enthusiastic as that community is, I don't believe that they could sustain you know two championship weekends. So you already then you're you're having to to move them around. But, but I go back to this, that there are so many good hockey communities in Canada, and just take the World Juniors and, and being able to move it around. And you could say, you know, go to Toronto every year, just like we could say go to Halifax. But, you know, I don't know if that is necessarily going to solve all of your problems. The Mem Cup moves around, it's successful, and you get a different taste for it. I think our, our university uh, communities across Canada, apart from being slightly diverse and, and whatnot, they're all unique. If you go out to, you know, the AUS and, and you know, you've, you've had some experience there, the, the AUS experience will be significantly different than the Canada West experience. So I, you've got to keep that balance when you're trying to do this within the, the structure. Um, the tournament itself doesn't make a tremendous amount of money. So this isn't, you know, a windfall for a program that puts their hand up to run it. Uh, I, I might suggest that the Mem Cup has probably become that way, too. I mean, there's certainly a, a significant revenue stream, but I don't know how much profit uh, it makes. The host gets to participate in it. It grows the game in their community. Uh, but they do, they, they exert such an effort on the expenditure to make the event great that, you know, they're not really sitting there with a you know, $5 million windfall. Uh, maybe not the same with the World Juniors. I think that probably is a different economic model, but you know, ours is, is really still tied to that student-athlete experience around the championship. Graham Brown joining us right now. We're going to take a quick timeout, come back with uh, part two of our conversation. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 12.47 in Edmonton. Let's get back uh, to more with Graham Brown. He is the uh, present CEO of U Sports in Canada. Would there be any thought process to dropping the bid fees for host institutions for men's basketball and men's hockey? Because they're obviously higher than some of the other sports. Uh, I, I realize that might sound that might sound counterproductive for your specific, you know, group because I know it helps pay for some of the costs for that. But just in terms of making it perhaps more appealing to get more institutions involved. Well, 
okay, so you can you can you can ask that question, or I could say our fees already still too low, and we should be increasing them. Yeah. To me, it's not what the fee is; it's what you do with it. So, so um, you know that fee. I'll give you some background on it. Fifty percent of the fee automatically goes back to the participating teams for travel pool. So, if that fee were in fact hundred thousand, one hundred goes back to the teams anyway. Right. So when you look at the fee, and a lot of people don't actually know that, but the fee in itself has two parts. 50% goes back to the teams to participate in, in uh, absorbing some of their travel. 50% then stays with the uh, U sports, of which what we out of that money do are pay our expenses. So we have, you know, we have to supply officials, we have uh, meetings, we have uh, planning, you have all, any and other all expenses related to admin governance and whatnot that, that's absorbed by U Sports comes out of that fee. In some cases, there's actually the licensing fee does not um, really equate to any residual. So there is no profit as a result of the licensing fee. You know, it's the same thing I had said that. You know, what, what you do with profit, the more profitable the event is, you hope that the more the organizing committee are putting into the event to make it great. So the more money it can generate, the more things they do. And it's very similar to our licensing fee. So reducing our licensing fee, sure, you could do it. You're simply reducing the travel pool allotment, uh, which is one. And then you're also reducing the ability of U-Sports and the infrastructure supporting that to, you know, um, you know, do a better job administering and marketing and promoting it. So... There's a little bit more than the licensing fee. I think what, what we need to do is find a licensing fee that's got the balance between what a host could afford to pay as part of the overall budget for the event uh, and, and what enables U Sports to have more than one or two hosts uh, put in a bid or a potential application. So it's finding a sweet spot on it. Uh, whether that's increasing it or decreasing it, I think if you go back in time, I at one point, I believe the and the basketball fee, and once again, this is uh, I you know I'm referring back to a time when I wasn't with the organization, but uh, I believe it was a couple hundred thousand dollars, um, and that was at a time where that two hundred thousand would have been significantly more representative, maybe even three fifty in today's dollars, um, but that was you know primarily because I think they saw that it was making money and, and it was a, a way to revenue share of the event in today's case it, it's not quite that low. okay um hey i'm a big ncaa football fan it's clemson and it's alabama and you have two programs and you know you got over 130 division one programs but those have been the two dominant programs is there any concern in men's hockey given the domination of alberta and unb over the course of the i mean the uva has been good pretty much forever but you know we, we've kind of seen another program get right there with them and there hasn't been a lot of push from other programs around. Is that a bad thing, or or is it just incumbent on other programs to get to that level? Yeah, I mean, first off, this isn't uh, a question that you couldn't also apply to basketball. That, with with that Carlton, I'm sure. Apply to track and field, right? So yeah. in football, uh, but the the question is, or my answer to that question would be that you know the more teams that have the ability to win a national championship, the better. If you're, if from a parity standpoint and, and a competition. However, when you have programs that year over year have, have, you know, been very well coached, very well managed, very well administered, um, and they're attracting the top players, 
you know, it's it's very hard to um, to fault that. I've I've always said that you know the success of any program generally starts with coaching, um, and I've always said that the the stronger or, or the the more high performance coaches you can get into your system, uh, the more competitive the, the sport will be. And I say that because most things are coach led, player focused. And I think when you look across the country right now at university hockey. There's some really, really talented coaches now that have found their career path into our university hockey. I don't think the the gap between uh, a UNV and U, University of Alberta, using those two programs, would be as significant in 2019 as it would have been, you know, five years ago. In my in my opinion, and when I say that, um, you know, you look at you know you know you look at the coaches. Um, and, and they're very good, and they've attracted good players. Uh, the other challenge I think you have with it in situations like take Ontario, you know, a, a young hockey player, and I actually have a, a son who plays in the OHL, um, you know, Ontario have so many programs, and they're still trying to draw the athletes from, you know, primarily OHL teams in either the, you know, the players that are playing in their fourth or, or sure. finishing their o, OA year. Um, you're really diluting it. Uh, you don't. Whereas, if you go out west, you know Alberta, and this isn't this is fact. I mean, if you look at Alberta's roster, they've done a pretty awesome job over over a long number of years of attracting quality dub players into their program at the end of their junior career. And I might even go on and say other programs have too, but Alberta have done it consistently and with some of the top players for a long time. Yeah, just to illustrate the point, Ontario, since you've gone to the eight-team tournament, Ontario has not won a game head-to-head against the Canada West or Atlantic team. Uh, Just to wrap up, they used to say uh, U-sports hockey, uh, the best-kept secret, which as a guy whose job in the early 2000s was to push and sell it was always frustrating to me. Um, Do do we still have to debunk an American myth when it comes to the level of of play between NCAA and U-sports schools? The Albertas and the UNBs can play with those. Uh, NCAA institutions and do you think we'll ever see a day I once offered uh, George Gwazdecki at Denver $100,000 on the air on the air when I was uh, doing my uh, old show to come up and play the U of A in Edmonton when Denver won the national title in 05 and the Bears won the title in 05. Do you ever think we'll see a day where, where they'll actually come up to an Edmonton or Fredericton and take on the best in their barns instead of you know flying Canadian schools down for three games in three days? Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and, and say I, I'm not sure I know enough about that to know whether you you could or would. I mean, you're seeing more and more of it in basketball, for sure. Um, I think there's still some underlying political um, positions when it comes to that because of the you know the CHL and the NCAA and 15-year-olds having to make decisions as to whether they're going to go the junior route or the NCAA route. Um, you know, historically, they used to have the a Can-Am game. I think it was held in Detroit. Uh, you know, our Canadian All-Star versus U.S. NCAA yep. All-Star. And, you know, unfortunately, the the power brokers in hockey, and, and at that age, it's your agents. You know, I don't think that they're looking at that as, as um, you know, what's in the best interest of each of their particular uh, programs, meaning I don't think the NCAA sees a benefit to them. Uh, although, you know, we play more and more every year. NCAA U Sports programs play one another. 
uh, UNB and I believe UNB, St. FX, and Acadia all actually played AHL teams in the last couple of years. Right. Um, so there's no question the quality of hockey, whether or not you could get them on a bragging right basis um, to, to try and come together. You know, I, I, I just don't know if, if the NCAA would ever see any real value in if they won or they lost. If they won, you know, it's an expectation, and if they lost, you know, there's probably an unfair um, retribution to that, that that they don't need to put themselves in that position. All right, that's uh, Graham Brown, and he is the CEO of uh, Sports in Canada. And uh, to debunk the American myth, uh, it's always interesting. They got, I'll tell you, the biggest thing that's got to happen is uh, the major junior teams have to work with the National Hockey League and uh, change the um, the way the draft works. And then that way, guys that are maybe slower in developing, uh, that get drafted as 18-year-old players, uh, could theoretically uh, go to Canadian schools and their rights be held by the NHL organizations. You'd have a higher percentage of players drafted to major junior, and then uh, those guys percolate at that level. Uh, Let's get to some texts that have come in. This one comes in from the Chisler out of Vegas listing online. Uh, He's also a big fan of our podcast. He says, Bob, I am not a CEO, and I was not born in 1970. I won't make fun of you, but definitely might start drinking take a flyer on me bob i like james neal not a top six guy though for the oilers luch ain't going anywhere you can bank on it also not putting you on the spot as uh president of the jensen interceptor fan club any chance with uh, going to break with tiny thing hey hugh porter where are you and that comes to us from the chiseler out of vegas from the late 1970s. A Medicine Hat classic coming up in hour number two. Medicine Hat play-by-play voice Bob Ridley going into the Hockey Alberta Hall of Fame coming up this weekend. And we'll also hear uh, from Eskimos broadcaster here from 630 Chad. Play-by-play voice Morley Scott off to a global news weather traffic update with Randy Kilburn. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.